There are times when you um, pass moments in your life, moments in history, that things seem to change. Like this, now like this. Sometimes that's uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, the best news you've ever heard of comes to you. The, uh, the, the change between um, almost having a baby and having a baby. Your life changes and in a way that you can't explain or describe. No, no one can tell you what it will be like and how you will feel. Happens like that. It also happens when you, uh, when, when you face something that is mm, darker, harder, discouraging, disappointing, frustrating, infuriating, before, after. We have those, those, those kind of moments that, that set us off in the way that we're going to go forward from there. And we have a chance to sort of be swept along by what's happening or to um, identify that we will, we will make our own choices. We'll put our mind in the right spot and, and uh, it can be hard. And, and so today, it's, it's still fresh in, in, in my mind and, and hopefully in yours that uh, once again, our, our continent w- was faced with, with another set of killings that, that happened for no reason except people believe differently. And I, I was struck by what, what it would be like to imagine that we're, we're not a Jewish synagogue in Philadelphia, but what, what, what would it be like if someone just decided that they hated us because we were here? Hate, hated us enough to come in and begin shooting and, and then to not stop, to, to keep shooting. Well, what would that be like? like when, when you hear about it a, a bit of a distance, you go, that's, 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 that's bad. I hope they're okay. Something should be done. And, and then we, we typically move to what somebody else should do and, and, and why somebody else is wrong and, w- and what they believe. Or, uh, and we, we, we become adamant. And, and in our culture, we, we now become outraged because that's what we do. We, we become outraged because outrage accomplishes nothing. And our hearts don't know what to feel. We get to a place where there's compassion fatigue. I don't know how much more I can care. And when you, when you consider um, where I think that we are, a number, of, a number of folks in our congregation right now, I think they're in a cloudy period. And by that I mean that the days don't seem quite as sunny. And it's not one. There, there are many of us who are facing different things. Some of us, there, there's some very real health things that have come up. And, and honestly, looking at them, they're daunting. Some of us are dealing with where our kids are or where, they, where they're not. Did I just fail as a parent? Am I, am, did, did that all just unravel? And, and you want the best for them, but you're not exactly sure what the best looks like. And, and if they don't choose the best, then it doesn't matter that it's the best. They have to choose it. They have to want it. And we're, and we're, we're caught in that, uh, how do I feel? Some of us are dealing with job stuff. The job that you thought was going to be forever isn't anymore. And what, what's hard is to, is to look around and see this, but at the same time, we can say, if, if you look around the people that are, that are sitting near you, they are in a place of need. And our needs are different, but the fact is that we're in that place. 
And we are in that place together. And somehow, I'd love to tell you exactly how it works, but I can't. Somehow, there is power in the gathering together of people who will be like-minded in their pursuit of Jesus. That somehow that, the, the, the eyes-up focus of you helps me. And, and, and it doesn't radically change my circumstances necessarily, but it can radically change the way I view them. A door is open for me. And I'm not sure if you can identify doors like that that have opened for you, but I can tell you of a door that opened like that for me. It was uh, remarkable. It it struck me this week, again, because because things happened that you didn't plan for, that you didn't want. And and, and I had a a hard time this week for something that probably doesn't mean anything to you. There was, there was a death this week that, I don't know, maybe, maybe you didn't even hear about. But it was a death of one of my mentors. A mentor I've never met. But I listened to, I watched, and I read. And I read. This guy, profound, and simple, deep, and yet so accessible. His name was Eugene Peterson. And some of you will hear that name and you'll have a resonance with what's there. And, I, and I've read a number of books by, by, by Peterson. And one that I can remember very clearly, it stands out. And the best thing about this, the book is, is so powerfully titled that you almost don't need to read the book. If if you could just resonate on his title, it was transformative. It was a long obedience in the same direction as a description of what faith looks like. A long obedience in the same direction. And ah, 20 years ago, I read that book, I think. It still resonates and with me, and then, and then what Peterson is, is, is most famous for is when he decided that his small church that he had planted, they were having a hard time accessing the Bible. Um, he began his contemporary paraphrase known as the message. And he started with Psalms because he loves the Psalms, and he thought it'd be great if somebody else could understand it. Then people said, Whoa, it's profound. What you've done is remarkable. Would you do more? And they approached this one guy who was probably in his early 70s and said, would you just go and do the whole Bible? Would you just re-paraphrase the entire thing, please? And and understand when when a translation of a Bible comes out, it's it's a collective collaboration typically of 50 people, many people, specialists, and they, they, they work together, and it's an enormous undertaking. But Peterson decided he, he wanted to go back to the original languages and then try and paraphrase with idioms adjusted. And so sometimes when we read the Bible, we get to the place, if you, if you have it, um, if it's been part of your experience, then you will hear phrases, and you will have a translation that you prefer. Great choose it. But, but if you're like me, 
What you, what you try and do is when, when somebody says it in a different way, you, you kind of go, ooh, that's wrong. You're not doing it the right way. And we have a tendency to look at the Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, and we want to hold it up and we want to revere it, and we religiousize it so that when we read those words in the right way, they're supposed to do something, right? It's almost like we treat it like it's a book of magic. If we say the right things in the right phrasing, then good things will happen. And Peterson said, you know what's more important than the phrasing? It's the point. It's how it comes in and how it connects with you and how you are able to be transformed by the renewing of your mind as you interact with Scripture, with the Holy Spirit, and in community. It wasn't supposed to be an intellectual exercise. It was supposed to be about relationship. And so what I would like to do for you today is to take some of the passages um, that I I thought were significant anyways, and I want want to bring them to you from the message. And so today is different. You, You cannot follow along on our screen, and you cannot follow along in the handout, and you cannot follow along on the online stuff, because I want you to just hear Hear phrases and things that you've probably heard before, but hear them with new words because the point wasn't to hear them. The point was to interact with them, allow them to transform you, and then to live differently because of it. And that was really the passion that Peterson had. And so, uh, as sort of a memorial to him, but as an advocation for you, find freedom in hearing some of these things in ways that you haven't heard before. And I'll tell you the references, so if, you, if you're interested in hearing it, just because if you've never gone through the message, it will sound different. And we would say it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. So if you wanted to do deep, deep academic study, the message is not the way to do it. But it's a great way for devotional reading, it's a great way to get perspective on a text as well. So, famous passage from Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. A familiar passage that we hear, and when we hear it, we go, well, that's the right way to say it. But every time I hear things in the right way, I somehow distance myself from accepting them, taking direction from them, and I simply say, yes, that's right. Maybe you have the same problem. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. Another time, there's, uh, the disciples are uh, gathered together as they frequently do, and they're, uh, we, we jump in in the scene as they're kind of arguing with each other because um, some of them have sort of pulled Jesus off to the side and they say, buddy, we, we can see how things are going. We can see what the plan is. We can see that when you come, you're Messiah, and their understanding of Messiah was you will change the world we live in. You will now rule. Absolutely true. But what they saw was Rome goes out, we go in, we are now the political power. So they said, hey, Jesus, we love what you're doing. We think you've got a great thing going here. Now let's just talk about what we're going to be when that kingdom happens. Could uh, my brother and I, one, one on the left, one on the right, can we, can we be there? Can we be your premier guys? Can we be um, top of this new country that you're going to set up and get in motion. And the other disciples heard that and they go, what are you, what are you, we're right here. We're in the same room. How could you be telling, we're all here. Why you? Why not us? Do you know what I've done? I worked harder. Do you know what I've done? You know who I've been with? And they started to compete about who was the greatest. And they started to say, well, I'm better than you. Therefore, I deserve more than you. And, and Jesus kind of, I, I always imagine that he's, he just puts his hand to his head, except he doesn't get as frustrated as I do. But all this time, you missed it. And so Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. And he said, and, and when people get a, a little bit of power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. This is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve and not be served, and then to give his life away in exchange for many who are held hostage. Everything you believed about power and leadership got flipped upside down. And he said it all with a straight face. I'm not joking when I say this. This is really what it's supposed to be. And so we, we hear this when, when, when we read it, and he says, he calls himself the son of man, and we go, well, that doesn't sound like that impressive of a title. But it, it's, it's sort of different. In, in the Jewish community, they would describe all of them as the sons of God. That's the way they saw themselves. And so the son of man is actually a prophetic title that goes back into the Old Testament that he's pulling up to say, this is who I am, the promised one. We don't hear it that way because of the way we use words. But yeah, you are children of God. And to identify your kingdom, the way you do that is the way you behave and the way you treat other people. It is not private and in your heart. It is not your personal belief. It must be manifested in the way that you behave. When you have power, your goal is to give it away. And <laughs> that is so messed up. 
Everything we've seen, everything we know is about how to get ahead so that you might have. And when you might have, you might hold so that you will continue to have. And maybe you'll also think about someone else along the way. And Jesus said, you guys got to get this in your head right away. How is anyone else going to get it if you can't figure this out? I've been with you. We've been together. And you're missing the whole thing. I'm claiming that I'm the son of man, which means that I am coming straight from God. I am the son of God. I have come to the earth to live like you, limited by you, knowing that I will be mistreated, taken advantage of, abused, and even killed because what I describe is so radically different than what you know that it will require the complete overthrow of every system that you know about, every government you've ever seen, every religious power that you've ever seen is set to be flipped over. When Jesus said that the world was going to change and it was going to be fundamentally different, he was absolutely right. Within just a couple of years after his death, everything that the Jewish people knew got flipped upside down. They lost the, their, their power in, in government. They lost their temple. The way of life that they knew that they thought was eternal was completely removed. Just like Jesus had described. So, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things that are right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. We, we talk frequently here about eyes up, how we're going to try and change the way that we see. And when we change the way that we see, we change the way that we can behave because what we're focused on is different. And when you focus just on you and, and looking down at what's around you, you go, well, that's, that's a way of life. And it constricts you to what you can see. And you're limited to your own feelings of peace. You're limited to your own feelings of satisfaction. You're limited to your own feelings of, was it good enough for me? Or do I still need to be discontent? And this transformation that happens in your heart and your mind frees you and it liberates you to see things in a whole new way. And the circumstances frequently don't change, but your ability to relate to those circumstances is radically transformed. And that's why we come back to the idea that I believe faith will teach you this thing repeatedly. We are called to come through, to bear up under and to overcome. And anyone who's selling you a void is selling you false goods. There is no promise in Scripture that says you will avoid pain, you will avoid suffering, you will avoid hardship, you will avoid being mistreated. In fact, it says you should be like Jesus. You know what Jesus was like? Look what happened to him. The Son of God himself, beaten, mistreated, lied about, scandalized, chased, false um, evidence in court, 
This is how he was treated. This is the plan. But the call is to bear up under, to come through and to overcome. And in that process, he meets you and you are transformed. And somehow it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. And somehow you can come through things that you didn't think you'd ever be able to come through. And somehow you can learn to forgive things that seem unforgivable because that is the transformation that's happening with inside as he works. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go into sexual obsession Addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you, made pay, you paid careful attention to him. And that you've been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. Ephesians 4, 17-24. And then Paul speaks with one of his, uh, his students. Uh, he's, he's a mentor. He's a spiritual father to this guy named Timothy. Timothy's off working uh, in, in, in a church. He's now um, trying to figure out what it's like to lead a group of people in pursuit of Jesus. And Paul summarizes it for him. He says, teach believers with your life, by your word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. I can, I can remember the first time I decided I was going to try and read the message kind of straight through in sections. And that, that was the one that I started. I was working at Muskoka Woods and uh, every morning we had time and I sat on the beach and I would read through this and I said, I've, I've read the Bible. I've read the Bible in the uh, New Living, uh, New, no, New International Version. I read it in the King James Version. I read it in the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. I know these phrases. I've had them drilled at me and into me. They're there. And I can identify rightness and wrongness. And I can feel pious. And I can feel like I know more than other people. But when I read the message, those same phrases, they just came alive in a different way. And they didn't speak of religion in the same way. They spoke of relationship. And I realized in there that there was part of my heart longing to say, I've, 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 been, I've been taught so much about right and wrong, and I've been taught this is the way we do things, and we don't do them that way, and we don't have this, and, we, and there was the, the, the rules, and, and that's the way so many people approach Christianity. They say, well, your, your rules don't apply. They're all out of date. It's 2018 for pity's sake. Those rules are, are ancient. 
Rachel, if you're, if you're reading the Bible and what you saw was the rules, you're reading it the wrong way. The rules are for people who believe. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you're free from any of those rules. You're free to find the destruction that they warn against. You're free to find the broken relationships that they try to guide you around. You are absolutely free. You are not bound. But you will still be in a place where you're destroying your life and you're destroying your relationships. And this idea of relationship with Jesus that is then um, shared with the people around me, well, one of those days it just seemed to click. I said, that's what I want. That, that's what I long for for myself, but I, I want other people to find this freedom as well. That this experience of Jesus is not supposed to be check, check, work on that. Work on that, work on that, work on that, work on that. It was supposed to be growing together, having my heart won by the one who would love me and who accept me as I was as messed up and as broken as I continue to be. He says, Graham, I love you. I came for you. And I came so that you could be free. And I know that people say that it's rules. And I know that people say that it's burden. And I know that people say all these things about what I'm offering. But come and discover the truth yourself. Come and discover if you might actually find and hold on to peace. It was an important time for me. It changed the way I was able to see so that when I come to this kind of a place and I say, it's time to preach again. What I want for you is not to learn what is right and what is wrong. What I want you to learn is who loves you and why what he has set up for you is the, the, the power to transform you and to transform those around you. We are not about should. We say all the time here, we don't want you to come here so that we can should on you. You do it because you choose it, because it's freedom. Eugene Peterson, he helped me to see that. But he helped me to experience it because he didn't say, this is what you must do now. He just provided the opportunity to see things and experience things in a new way. And I found that my heart resonated in that way. And, and, and I pray that that will be your experience as well, that your heart would resonate, that it would vibrate towards Jesus, not just because he's right and he's the son of God and he's all powerful and omnipotent and everywhere present, but because he cares for you. And because he has opened up a pathway that enables you to move in closer relationship with him. And every step that you take that gets closer to him transforms the life that you have from meaninglessness to meaning. So that every struggle, every hardship, every, every downturn, every great day, it's not simply a moment in time. It's part of a story of God's transformative love and grace in you. So that when you face those things that are hard and devastating and they break your heart and you're disillusioned, there's somewhere to go from there. We come through. We overcome. And we bear up under. And in doing that, 
We become a model. We become a display. We become that finger pointing. Look at Jesus. Why are you so different? Look at Jesus. How can you be like that? Look at Jesus. How can you forgive? Look at Jesus. It's not about me. And there was great freedom as I was reading, and this just became reality for me. It's about God's work in me. And so when I underperform, God doesn't give me an evaluation slip that says, you used to be my son before you botched it. He says, you are my son, and I love you, and I will love you forward. This is not the end. That's just today. That's just right now. And because I work in marvelous and wonderful ways, I can take whatever has gone wrong, whether you initiated or it was done to you, I can take whatever that was and I can transform that horrible, black, darkness, evil. I can transform it in you and make it good. It doesn't make the thing good. It just means that good comes from it. That there's a flower that now comes from the rotting ground. That, that somehow that darkness wasn't enough to stop the work that was happening. That is happening in me. And so when I think back on those failures in my life, those hard things, those heartbreaking times, they are not the end. They're just part of the story. And as dark as that was for me, and as embarrassing and as humiliating and whatever else, what I experience in that is that God can somehow take the broken pieces that I had and rebuild something better than I ever conceived of. And we just go right through the middle of the muck to do it. We don't, we don't avoid it and say, you know what? If God loves you, you should get more money. You should have perfect health. That's what it's like to love Jesus. Because if he really loves you, then you'll get what you want. Whatever it is that you want, you'll get it, and you'll, and you'll be well paid, and you'll be healthy, and everyone will like you, and things will always go right, and if anyone sells you that, it's just not true. It's not the promise of God. Our promise is always through. I will come through. And in doing that, we show ourselves to be unlike the rest of the world, who gets stuck in the bitter get stuck in the angry. And 30 years later, they can tell you a story with crystal clarity of how they were hurt. And there's still anger inside. And in fact, the anger has grown because they never were able to shake it off. And now they're angry at their anger. And an anger that's far beyond what, it, what the hurt was. And they are not free. Freedom is what Jesus came for, to bring you freedom. Freedom that he sees is better than the one that you interpret. This is what I mean to be free, but this is what he means to be free. Free in the midst of a prison. So let me go over again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper, and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself, and, and, and I pass them on to you. The Master, 
Jesus, on the night that he was, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after his supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This is my cup, my new covenant, my new promise, my new contract, my new relationship, my new guarantee with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. And what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and in your actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. And anyone who eats this bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like, is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. And if you give no thought, or worse yet, you don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick, and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. We're going to celebrate communion together, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. As we do that, do not let familiarity breed contempt. Do not let familiarity breed ritual. Do not let familiarity breed religion. Allow this once again to be about relationship. Your relationship to Jesus. And so at a checkpoint Sunday, we, 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 we mark them in our calendar to stop the rhythm. We got a rhythm. We just keep doing things the same way. And so we built it into our schedule that we would stop. And even in doing that, we built it into our schedule. So Remember, we stop to remember, what has God done for me in the ancient past and in the recent past? You remember well what somebody else has done to you. You've got no problem. That doesn't take any extra effort. Remember what God has done for you in the ancient past and in the recent past. And then reevaluate. It's been a busy month. Lots happened. Am I where I want to be? Am I living the life that I want to live and not the life that I've just been swept up in? Am I doing, behaving, relating in the way that I long to behave and relate? Or am I just hanging on? Am I just hanging in? Remember, reevaluate. 
And the reevaluate, allow me to again remind you, reevaluating is not about piling you under a load of should. Your reevaluation is what you want. What is it that you long for? Are you content with where you are? Allow God to speak into that as well. Because no matter where you are, part of the message that God wants for you to understand is that there's more for you than what you are experiencing currently. Whether you're at the top of your game or whether you're at the bottom of the pit, there's more for you. We remember, we reevaluate, and then we refocus. Before you leave, make the decision. I have an opportunity again. We'll give you some time for quiet. I can refocus. Who is it that I want to leave this place being? What is it that I need to process before I go forward? Who is it that I know that I'm going to need to talk to? Who is it that I know I'm going to have to make a phone call to? You know, the one with words, not just the one with text. I got to talk to them voice to voice. I need to say sorry. I need to straighten some things out. I need to make sure that we're on the right path. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but it's coming back to me now, and I want to make sure that things are clear. I want to make sure that things are good because our relationship vertically, our relationship to God is dependent on our relationship horizontally. These things go together. You cannot have a great relationship with God and a bad relationship with people here. It just doesn't work. Remember? Reevaluate. Refocus. The last one would be repent. Repent is not a bad word that's about condemnation and you failed, you're worthless. Repent is recognition that I'm not where I would like to be. I'm not where God would like me to be. Repenting is turning away. The the word has been misused. It's misunderstood now in in so many contexts. It just means to turn away. If I know that if I continue to walk this way, which is the way that I'm walking, I will continue to have negative relationship. I'll continue to have bad relationship. I will continue to harbor my anger, hold on to my greed, hold on to my lust, hold on to my, my, my fury, hold on to my bad relationships, hold on to all of it because I'm just going to keep going the way I've always gone. Repentance to turn around. I don't want that. I don't want where that road goes. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to walk away from that. Remember, reevaluate, refocus, and if the Spirit prompts you, repent. Repent is towards freedom, not towards guilt. Guilt has no part of the story. You go where you choose to go. Let's choose together to refocus, repent, put our eyes back on Jesus. So we're going to take communion. We're gonna, it's, it's set up for you at the back. We'll give you a couple moments to prepare yourself. And then what we'd ask is that you follow the, uh, the down this aisle, up this aisle. We get a little clogged here sometimes. If, if you would like, I would strongly encourage you, take communion with somebody else. It is so frequently one of those things that's private, it's quiet, it's ceremonial, it's just me. It's not supposed to be like that. It's a together kind of thing. If you part of your family's here, enjoy it together. If you've got a friend here... Just take it together because we got to break some of the, the, the feelings of the religion that says that you can't do this. I can't, I can't meet with you together. You see, no, together is how we're going to walk. 
And I need you to know this side of me. I need you to be part of this side and not just part of the let's go and play golf side or the let's go shopping together or the let's watch the hockey game together. That's part of me. But the part of me that I need you to really resonate with and to feel more bold to speak into is the part that says, I long to be closer to Jesus. We find it very difficult to say those kind of words. So I would encourage you, partake together. And so with that in mind, we're not going to gather back together and all partake together. You can, you can stand around at the back together. You can even talk, okay? Connect with someone. If that's really not your thing, you, you don't have to. We, we have the bread back there and the cup back there. Take them, and then the band will come back in a little bit of time. They'll play us a, a song, and then we'll be done. But let me pray for you now as we prepare our hearts and our minds to participate in relationship. Kind Father, I thank you again for the grace, the love, the mercy that you showed to us in sending Jesus here. I am first to say that I, I, I want to respond with, but you don't know what it's like. You don't know how hard it is for me to follow you. You don't know what struggle is really like. But Jesus, you were here. You lived just like we did. No magic powers to clean the floor. No divine guardian to stop you from stubbing your toe. No magic shield that made everyone like you all the time. No way to show the truth of who you were that would challenge those who lied against you. You had a bigger vision than just to be right in other people's eyes. You came to set us free from the bondages that we continue to make around us, ourselves. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak into us, into our hearts and into our minds. We welcome you to to prompt us. And, and, and I pray that you'd also give us the courage to respond honestly. If there is something that we need to make right, be gentle, bring it to my mind. Bring it to the mind of my friends that are here today. Speak to them, I pray in Jesus' name. Prompt them towards freedom and not condemnation. For we know that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us our sin, and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't need to live in that shame any longer. As we prepare to celebrate you today by, by remembering what you did for us, God, I pray that we would be able to take the significance of this moment, not as a religious ceremony, but as a commitment again to a relationship. I, I, I just want to be in. You make me better. When I focus well on you, when my eyes are on you, I am become more of the man that I wish that I could be all the time. Continue to move me forward in that direction. And for my friends here as well, Lord, speak to them. Call them forward to the people that they long to be. The person that you have set aside for them to be. The person that you have empowered them to be. Fix that in their gaze. And help us to encourage somebody else as we go. 
Thanks for what you have done. Thanks for what you are doing. Thanks for what you will do in and through us. Pray that you would speak to us, that we might be able to later have you speak through us. That we would take the message that we have received and we would share it in our example, by our behavior, with our words, wherever we go. Make this moment holy and sacred, we pray, as we focus our hearts and our minds on you. Interact with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you are ready, please um, proceed. If you're not in, in the habit of worshiping with us at Into One, you're welcome to participate in communion with us. Just ask that you do it honestly. If, if it's not your thing, that's okay. Don't force it. You, you don't fake it. The faking it does no good for anyone. If, you're, if your genuine desire is that, that Jesus would be the Lord of your life and that you would love to follow him, please participate with us regardless of what your tradition is. If you are here with, with children, then you, you guide your children. You explain to them what's going on. You make sure that they can, they can get it. And, and as you are comfortable with that, then you make sure that they can participate with that. Again, I would encourage you, be bold. Take communion with somebody. Have that moment where your eyes can meet. And yeah, you'll be shy. And you'll be a little bit nervous because you're not used to doing this. But sharing our spiritual meal together is the power to transform you in ways that you want to be transformed. When you are ready, you may go. Thanks for being with us today. It's better when you're here. Amen. Better when we're together. Yes. And I believe that the more we connect, the better it gets. There is hope. There is peace. There is love where Jesus goes. Now, may you be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Genuinely, good to have you here. Glad that we could share this moment together. Don't don't let it just fade because you walk out and you got to get back to whatever you got to get back to. You don't leave, you're sent. And I'm sending you again as the church of Jesus Christ to make a difference where you go. Church doesn't happen in this building. It happens wherever you go, wherever you take it. We are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered and we are mission-focused. And the mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Don't be selfish. Share what you've been given. Share it well. There are so many today alone that need hope, they need love, and they need grace. That's the message of Jesus. And if they've got something else in there instead of that, then then they just don't have the right message. Don't argue with them. Just show them what the right message is.